Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 663 with Melody Wilding. If you've got a smidge of negative self-talk, imposter syndrome, or lack of confidence going on, Melody brings the goods. So you'll learn, one, the two behaviors that greatly hinder sensitive professionals. Two, three tactics for silencing your inner critic. And three, powerful questions to counter negative thinking. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep663. And while you're chilling over at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out the Gold Nugget email summaries, which summarize the wisdom that Melody shared in an email you can read in just about three minutes, as well as providing access to the vault of all of these summaries. That's called the Gold Nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Melody's story. Melody Wilding, LMSW, is an executive coach, human behavior expert, and author of Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. She's coached hundreds of private clients from CEOs and Fortune 500 executives to leaders from the U.S. Department of Education, the Federal Reserve, and the United Nations. She teaches graduate-level human behavior and psychology at the Silverman School of Social Work at Hunter College in New York. Her writing is regularly featured on Medium and in the Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Forbes, Business Insider, Quartz, the New York Times, The Cut, Oprah Magazine, NBC, etc. Big thanks to Melody for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here is Melody. Melody, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so excited to talk about your latest work. Trust yourself, stop overthinking, and channel your emotions for success at work. Uh, I do some overthinking and could use some help channeling emotions, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. So, so lay it <laughs> on us. What's maybe the most surprising and fascinating discovery you made as you were putting this together? I think the concept that really underbeds the entire book of being a sensitive striver was the biggest light bulb moment for me. Personally, I am this personality type, and it was a huge discovery for me to put together and put words to something that I had struggled with for most of my life up until that point. But also, after coaching people for 10 years, I had just seen this really repetitive and consistent constellation of challenges that... I couldn't put words to. And so when I was writing the book and I was really struggling with the proposal, trying to figure out what I was writing about, I just took a whiteboard and wrote down on it all the different challenges my clients had, grouped it into two different categories and kind of stepped back and had that lightning bulb moment of, 
oh, sensitive and striver, those two sides together. So that was the biggest aha for me. Well, yeah, that's a great turn of a phrase, a sensitive striver. I think I am one, and I think that's a resonant term for many of our listeners. But can you unpack it for us? What exactly does that mean to be a sensitive striver? Of course. So being a sensitive striver means that you are highly sensitive and high achieving. So you are someone who thinks and feels everything more deeply. You process the world around you more intricately, but you're also very driven. You want to succeed and you want to advance in your career. So it's the that combination of sensitivity and striving. Biologically speaking, this is about 15 to 20% of the population that has a genetic trait difference. So we are actually wired differently to pick up on more of the environment. So we have a more highly attuned central nervous system, which means that we're more perceptive, observant, we're more attuned to our own emotions, as well as those of the people around us. We're deeply caring. We give our 100% to our work. But we tend to have an inner world that's on overdrive. And that's because we process more deeply than other people. That leaves us more susceptible to some of the downsides of stress, emotional overwhelm, overthinking. Well, so, and I'm intrigued, and I think that we've got plenty of applicability, whether you happen to have that genetic switch going for you or not. So, well, first of all, tell us, can we get a genetic test? How do we confirm <laughs> this quickly and easily? Yeah. So I actually have in my book, there is a, a quick quiz and I can run through some of the items in the quiz if that would be helpful. But this quiz is drawn from the research, from what we know about high sensitivity as a trait and from what we know about high performance in the science. So some of the signs, you are someone who experiences emotion to unusual level of depth and complexity. You have that desire to exceed expectations in everything that you do. You need time to think through decisions before you act, since a hallmark of sensitivity is pausing before acting. Mm -hmm. Tend to have an inner critic that never takes a day off. You're kind, compassionate, empathetic to others. You find it difficult to set boundaries and say yes too much. You struggle to turn your mind off because it's constantly filled with thoughts. You hold yourself to very high standards and you judge yourself harshly if you make mistakes. So those are just a few of the signs, but we can also dive into, I actually have a framework that explains the six key qualities that all sensitive strivers have. So we can dive into that if you like. Well, yes, I'd love mm -hmm. to hit the the quick version of, you know, check yeah. each of those six. But first I, I'm thinking... Let's distinguish a bit. Everything you've said resonates with me a bundle. I suppose it's hard to say if we use words like unusually high or, or more than others, it's like, well, I don't know what others are experiencing in their interior life. Yes. <laughs> but I suppose, what would be the insensitive striver, for example? So I, I guess there, there are people who are ambitious, but don't have that going on. What is it just like? Uh, you can't make an omelet without cracking a few eggs. I don't, I don't care who I have to dominate to win. Is that what the insensitive striver sounds like? <laughs> the insensitive driver. I love that. I have no one has said that to me before. Oh. So I, I love that. The sensitivity is a spectrum. So as you were saying, you know, people, you fall on that just like you would any personality trait. So people who are highly sensitive are much more affected by the world and the environment that they're in. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're someone who is utterly drained at the end of a long day with meetings where your partner is not. So for example, you know, my, my partner, the things that drain me 
and are very taxing to me, my partner, it doesn't phase him at all. Mm-hmm. Or things that I pick up on in a situation where I notice certain subtleties or nuances goes right over his head. And I love him with all my heart. <laughs> so that is said with kindness. And could this also be true about just actual physical stimuli? Like sandpaper yes. feels rougher. A loud noise is is more jarring and, and painful. Mm-hmm. 100%. Right. And that's actually the first of the Shrive qualities is actually sensitivity, which sounds obvious, but it refers to exactly what you're saying, which is sensory sensitivity. So we are, uh, we startle more easily. Yes, we're more sensitive to smells and fabrics uh, and bright lights, for example. So that's why Zoom tends to be really fatiguing because it's just visual stimulation and you're you're self-monitoring all the time. Oh, yeah. And so sensitive strivers can become really highly overstimulated and operate at that level for a long time, kind of just pushing themselves through it. That's the striver side. Yeah. And be in burnout. So, yes, you're you're exactly right on. And so so that's helpful there in terms of, OK, there is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily binary on off. You got the gene, you're in the 15 percent versus you don't. You're not. Correct. And one thing I have to think about sensitivity in terms of like what I'm dealing with people. Mm-hmm. I get the impression that some people I know seem to really feel, I don't know, I get sensitivity. I mean, they, they feel they feel the pull of of like guilt mm-hmm. and or reciprocity mm-hmm. significantly. And others seem completely immune <laughs> to it. Like like there's just no sense of they owe you. Yes. And in a way. I envy that. <laughs> it's like, man, you. you are such a killer negotiator. <laughs> like, you don't care at all about mm-hmm. all the things I've done for you. Wow. I just can't be that heartless, although I'd probably be more lucrative if I could be. So does that fit in the mix or is that a totally different construct? No, you're 100% right. So yeah. actually, you're you're kind of leading down this framework. So the way to identify your qualities as a sensitive striver, or conceptualize them, it's conveniently spells out the acronym STRIVE. So Mm -hmm. we first had sensory sensitivity that the heightened nervous system response that we talked about. Then we have the T, which is thoughtfulness. So you're contemplative, you're reflective, you're intuitive, but you can overthink situations, worry more, get into indecision and doubt. Next would be responsibility, which is part of what you were talking about being dependable, always being counted on to follow through for other people. But we also can't bear to let people down. So we will take on extra responsibility, even when it means sacrificing our own well-being. Then we have inner drive, which is that desire to exceed expectations, set a lot of goals. Sometimes we can set our goals so sky high that it's unrealistic and we fall into perfectionism. Fifth, we have vigilance, which is also being attentive to other people's needs, having a keen awareness for those subtleties, a change in your boss's body language, the general mood of a meeting. So you're constantly on high alert, taking on what's going on around you. But you may sometimes read danger where there is none. And then last is emotionality. So that's our E and our strive. And that is having complex, more intense emotional responses. So more emotionally reactive, so to speak, both positive and negative. So we get the joy of experiencing life in full color of the full emotional spectrum of gratitude, excitement. But we can also get stuck in negative emotions like anger, fear, anxiety, and stay stuck there longer than most people. Well, you know, it, it's funny. I am not a hoarder. 
Like, where's this going, Pete? <laughs> <laughs> I like that whenever uh, a sentence starts that way. But sometimes I do have a lot of complex emotional relationships associated with objects in terms of, are we just going to let that go? And what does that mean? Does that mean that I've, I've failed? I've made a poor decision that I've, that I, we're no longer committed to this thing. I thought we were committed to that when we went embarked upon this path and acquired this. And so it's like, <laughs> I, I really do have a lot of complicated emotions associated with simple things like, Hey, are you going to use it? Well then get rid of it. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, well, there's a little more to it than that. Mm-hmm. Not about every item in my home, but there's like a, a sliver of things that fall into a weird category. So, so it sounds like, okay, there's a spectrum. Sounds like I'm on it. And I think a lot of our listeners are. And, yes. you know, for the insensitive strivers, well, maybe <laughs> you'll, you'll learn what the rest of us are dealing with <laughs> and interact with us. That's right. Because this is 20% of people. So this is one in five people. So if you are not one, you definitely work with one, love one, are friends with one. So it's good to know about this personality and in terms of how to get the best out of them, how to communicate with them. So definitely something here for everyone. Okay. Well, so then could you maybe share with us an inspiring story of of a sensitive striver who, I'm going to really put you on the spot here, (laughs) who was having some stresses, some difficulties, but then gaining some awareness and some tools about the sensitive striving was able to open things up and, and make a positive impact. I do. I do. And this one is is timely because this actually happened last year when the pandemic really hit. So I have one client who is in a senior leadership position at, at his organization. It was a nonprofit. And he characterized himself as a reluctant leader. He actually consulted with the organization before. And the organization was in a transitional period, let's put it that way. It was really, the leadership was in disarray. They had really been managed by, you know, an old school model, kind of managed by fear and dictating what people should do and just kind of your your old school management style. And so people had left. There was a lot of turnover. There was a lot of upset on the board about the organization not hitting their targets. And so my client was thrust into a full-time senior leadership role when someone very suddenly exited. And so all of a sudden, he sort of found himself as this reluctant leader of this broken organization. And then the pandemic hit shortly after that. And there was all of a sudden a lot of pressure from the board. This was really a catalyzing moment. But for him, it was also an opening to say, we can't do things the way we've always done. If we don't change something, we're not going to survive. Because actually, his organization, what they did was in-person teaching. They would bring people to teach in-person classes, which, as you can guess, during the pandemic was not possible. So overnight, pretty much their entire revenue stream evaporated. Now, what my client was able to do and what we worked on together during this time was first his confidence of shifting from in his mind, keeping himself in that identity of the reluctant leader. This is only temporary and part time and they didn't really want me. And I got here by luck. A lot of getting past a lot of his hangups around the imposter syndrome and fully stepping into I'm the leader of this organization and owning that identity. Second was really starting to leverage how his qualities as a sensitive striver could really uniquely be huge strengths in this situation. 
And a big one is that sensitive strivers, we, because we're processing, we're taking in a lot of information, we tend to anticipate eventualities. We tend to be able to spot opportunities that others miss or anticipate roadblocks that may come up. So my client, even before the pandemic hit, he had been very vocal about the fact that we need to get our online learning up and running. We need to really be going deep on that as a different revenue stream. And so when the pandemic hit, he was very well poised to push that through and very quickly was able to help the organization pivot their entire business model to an online revenue stream because he had seen that opportunity coming. Mm -hmm. And then last was using his sensitivity, his empathy, his emotional intelligence, his high value for integrity and diversity. He completely rebuilt the team from the inside out. As I had mentioned before, the culture of the company was very much by by fear, by criticism, and he completely changed that to be a very psychologically safe place, to be a place that you know people were going from you know, a fifty percent turnover to people saying, "I never want to leave this job. I love working here so much," and people referring their friends to the organization. So really, he completely turned around the inside of the organization, and that's primarily through his skills as a sensitive striver, his problem solving, complex thinking, his empathy, emotional intelligence, all of those things combined together was the perfect combination needed to help the organization get through the pandemic. And that's lovely in terms of the the reluctance from which we started there. I guess imposter syndrome yes. is huge there with regard to, you know, I don't know enough. I'm not worthy of this opportunity. I'm a fraud. And yet it seems like those same kinds of instincts that lead to you thinking you're a fraud are are actually the sorts of instincts that are assets in terms of of helping out in terms like the the sensitivity and the empathy and and whatnot there. So, So that's cool right there in terms of just having that awareness. Okay, this is good. Yeah, those strive qualities I mentioned before are, they can all be strengths. You want to think of them almost like dials on a stereo. You can you can dial them up and you can dial them down. And when your qualities are well balanced, for example, when your thoughtfulness is well balanced, you're able to be reflective and problem solve and bring creative original ideas to the table. But when your thoughtfulness is not balanced for whatever reason, you're stressed, you lack the right tools, you lack the awareness, well, then it can turn into imposter syndrome overthinking. And so they're they're two sides of the same coin. Well, I think I got a good picture for how the strive qualities can be assets. Mm-hmm. And I've got a little bit of a picture for how that could be unpleasant <laughs> as you're inside the head of a sensitive yes. striver. Could you paint a perhaps a detailed picture in terms of the the six strive qualities and how they can be working against you or, or feeling not so great? Yeah. And I think many people will be familiar (laughs) with this part. So let's take some, some of the most common examples. We talked about imposter syndrome. So that is that feeling of being a fake, a fraud, despite your accomplishments. So it's really just being really hindered by your insecurities. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the clients I work with come to me because they say they are playing it safe in their career. They're running away from more responsibility because of their lack of confidence. They don't want to put themselves out there or take higher leadership positions, or they do take higher leadership positions and they self-sabotage or flare out early on. 
So that is one common thing we see. Also something I call the honor roll hangover. And that is a combination of people pleasing, perfectionism, and overfunctioning. So it's called the honor roll hangover because many of our habits that you know many sensitive drivers are grown-up A-plus gold star students who bring that same sort of mentality, you know, be the best, do everything right. They bring that mentality with them into their careers. And while that helps them be successful then, that it's not necessarily the same skill set it needs to be successful, particularly as you advance in your career. And when you say over-functioning, that sounds like a good thing. But over, (laughs) maybe not so much. What do we mean by that? That's right. So perfectionism, most of us know. Perfectionism is not really the desire to be perfect, but it's more the self-recrimination. It's being highly self-critical. Nothing you ever do is good enough. Beating yourself up relentlessly for everything that you do. All or nothing thinking. That's perfectionism. People-pleasing can also look good, right? I want to be helpful to people. I always want to be of value. We hear that constantly from people in the workplace. But people-pleasing can look like agreeing to someone's not-so-great idea when when you don't actually agree with it. Morphing your opinion so someone likes you. Or a lot of folks I work with who are managers and leaders will sort of downplay their opinions because they want their team to like them or not give feedback. So that's people-pleasing. And then over-functioning can look like a few things. It can look like swooping into fix situations. You always have to be the one putting out fires. If others around you are very dependent on you, so if everybody comes to you for answers to the point where people don't know how to do the work themselves. So you are basically an enabler. (laughs) So when you're over-functioning, you tend to overwork as well. You tend to take on more than your share of responsibility. So if you take on emotional and mental responsibility for situations when it's really not yours, an outcome of a meeting or a project, and you are just beating yourself up and feeling horrible because it went sideways when really there was so much out of your control, then you're overfunctioning, right? And the problem with overfunctioning is that it causes other people to underfunction. So you can actually create this cycle where other people don't take responsibility. They don't step up. They're not empowered, which only reinforces it because you feel more resentful. You feel like the kid in the group project who does everything by yourself and nobody else steps up. And it might be because you're you're not giving them a chance. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's zoom in on some, some solutions here yeah. when it comes to your inner critic, when it comes to second guessing or rumination. When we're in the heat of that battle in our brains, what do we do? So one of my favorite strategies and ones that one that my clients love is naming your inner critic, personifying it, giving it an identity that is separate from you. And this is simple but powerful because so many of us over-identify with that inner critic. It is the loudest voice in our head. It drowns out our intuition or our wiser self, the more balanced and, and calm self. And so it's so automatic. And what we need to do is be able to gain distance from it so that we can Mm -hmm. hear what it's saying, but not necessarily buy into and act on what it's telling us. So when you personify your inner critic, I recommend giving it a silly name or imagining it as a character from a movie. 
So one of my clients named his Darth Vader mm-hmm. and uh, actually got a Darth Vader <laughs> Lego figure, put it on his desk so that every time, you know, his inner critic was acting up, he was able to look at it. Yeah. Well, Darth Vader is uniquely perfect because he's right. so critical and so mm-hmm. overreacts. Like he's going to choke you if you like make a mistake. And so That's right. that is perfection. What are yeah. some other examples? Well, I've had a lot of people call theirs the little monster or gremlin. Some folks, uh, a lot of Karens this year with the with the rise of poor Karens in real life. Like I know, <laughs> I feel very bad for real Karens. All listeners named Karen, we love you. I know. Yes, that is very true. Yeah. So yeah, that's a few of them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so we gave it a name. That's a great tip. And then what? Yes. <laughs> and so once you are able to gain distance from it, that's half the battle, right? Half the battle is even recognizing when it comes up. So that's not so automatic. But where the greater power is starting to change your thoughts, starting to reframe the imposter syndrome dialogue that's going on in your head. And so this is really a process of self-coaching. And so much of my job as a coach is to put myself out of a job (laughs) because I want to give my clients the ability to have a melody in their head so they can coach themselves to better thoughts and better solutions. And so, for example, if your imposter syndrome is saying, what are some critical thoughts that you struggle with? Let's see. I don't know if it's so much of a criticism. It's not like you Mm -hmm. screwed up, you're bad, you suck, you're unworthy of love. I don't have much of that going on, but I, but I, I can sort of dwell on the, oh, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. This is too much. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can handle all of this. Some Mm -hmm. sort of like, woe is me, tired, overwhelm. So does that count as an inner critic? It's not helpful. (laughs) Well, that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And so one kind of coaching question, there are coaching questions I come back to again and again and again. One of them is, how is this thought serving me? How is that thought helping you reach your goals? Mm, Fantastic question. Usually it's not at all. (laughs) Occasionally it might help me anticipate something like, Mm -hmm. yeah, good point. That's probably going to pop up. So let's prepare. But more often than not, it's just belly aching in the moment, which does nothing for me. Yeah, exactly. And negative or critical thoughts stick around because there's always a kernel of truth and usefulness. As you said, it helps us anticipate or prepare whatever it is, but they become so outsized that it's not helpful. Yeah. So that's one question is, how is this thought serving me? Another one that really stops people in their tracks is, what am I making this mean about me? That's my golden coaching question that I come back to again and again, because so often we are personalizing other people's actions and behaviors to mean something. We interpret it as something negative about us. Yeah. My boss used a period instead of an exclamation point. Well, that must mean they're mad at me. They're going to fire me. I knew he think he thought I did a bad job on that instead of looking at the facts of the situation, which is. He used a period instead of an exclamation point. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) We go down this narrative, right? And the stimuli doesn't even need to be external. Like in terms of me saying, I feel tired, I could say, what does that mean about me? I could leap to some conclusions. I was like, yeah, well, I'm out of shape. I haven't been doing any more workouts. Working out, I've been neglecting my my health and vitality. I'm getting older. I'm not as Mm -hmm. motivated as I used to be. I'm losing the fire. I used to be such a a go-getter and now I'm uh, getting weak and soft. Mm -hmm. Whereas it could really just mean... 
yeah, you didn't get enough sleep last night. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, it's been about seven hours since you had a, a meal. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that'll do it. So that's awesome. Whether it's coming from the external or the internal, we could personalize and make it mean something about us that's not so handy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and two other helpful tools to to get past that. Then when you do find yourself personalizing or getting hooked by those stories, one is another acronym that is THINK. So think you're going to be thinking anyway, but think stands for, is this thought true? Is it, do I have factual evidence or is this an interpretation or an opinion? A fact is I made a typo in an email, whereas an opinion is I'm horrible at my job. Yeah. (laughs) Is it helpful? Is it serving me or others? Is it inspiring? Does it help me move closer or away from my goals? Uh Is it necessary? Is it necessary that I focus on this thought now that I act on it or even pay attention to it or can I let it go? And then last is kind. Is it compassionate? Is it caring towards myself or to others? And even just that, I have a lot of clients who just keep a, a sticky note on their computer with think. And whenever they find themselves going down that spiral, it's a it's an instant reset to help you access some of that more balanced, calmer, compassionate thinking. Oh, yeah, I, I love that so much. But this reminds me of every once in a while, something reminds me of a verse. Uh, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious. If there is any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If there's any Christians in the house, that might resonate. Like Those are similar things and themes to think in terms of those are the kinds of things that are going to serve you yeah, and help get you where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Right on. Mm-hmm. Right on. Okay. So we catch ourselves, I guess, in the <laughs> moment. We go through the THINK acronym, and then what if we say, hey, you know what? No, it's not true, or it's not helpful. How do we kind of shimmy from there? Yeah, part of it is even practicing on, practicing new thoughts, because new thoughts then lead to different actions. Because if your thinking is, you know, I'm not worthy, I'm not capable, I'm inadequate, well, your actions are going to be congruent with that. You're not going to put yourself out there. You're going to diminish your successes. But if your thinking is more constructive, well, then you are going to put yourself out there. You are going to feel more confident. And so, so much of overcoming imposter syndrome comes down to changing your thoughts, yes, but then taking a leap to act differently so that you get evidence to build your credibility with yourself. Mm -hmm. And so when I have clients in my group coaching program, the first thing I say in our initial session to them is that you build confidence and credibility with yourself in proportion to the number of promises you keep to yourself. And so if so many of us put other people first in our careers and in our lives, and we are the last person on the list that we say, well, I'll take my lunch break today. I'll finally take that course that I've been wanting to take, that always falls to the wayside. Or I'll speak up in that meeting and I'll I'll share my idea this time. I'll give feedback or I'll ask for feedback from my boss. And we don't hold ourselves accountable. And that only reinforces the negative thinking, the inner critic, the imposter syndrome thoughts. Because look, you are such a scaredy cat. You can't even ask your boss for feedback. Who does that? No wonder you're not successful at this job, right? But if you take a leap and you keep that promise to yourself, well, you start changing. You have evidence to back up that new story that you're telling yourself. You have 
you're depositing in your confidence bank, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Well, tell me, Melody, anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I think the last thing I wanted to mention around imposter syndrome is really internalizing your achievements because so many times sensitive drivers, again, we place all of our attention externally on other people versus channeling it internally. Most of the time when we channel our energy internally, it's to be critical. It's about how we're not measuring up where we need to Mm -hmm. be stronger, our weaknesses. So I have my clients keep a brag file, which is an ongoing place, a work journal, essentially, where on a daily basis or on Monday and Friday, they are talking about their biggest achievements, their biggest wins. And what's important about this is is not to think of wins in the glorified sense of I made the company a million dollars, but in the what moments of strength did I have? Did I overcome resistance? Did I do something that was hard? It can be wins like positive praise and feedback, but it is important to do this because if we don't, the negativity bias will take over. It's very easy to get to the end of a day or a week and feel like I did nothing productive or worthwhile today. And so your brag file is a forced point of reflection for you to do that and to help you really take in, internalize, and appreciate how far you are coming. And through that, you can see your strengths, your talents, what type of work you are good at. So it can be useful on a number of different levels. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Mine would be a quote from Charles Dickens that says, have a heart that never hardens, a temper that never tires, and a touch that never hurts. Very sensitive striver. Oh, lovely. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Lately, I have been reading a lot of future of jobs reports from the World Economic Forum, for example, about what are the skills workplace skills that are going to be most valuable in the future. And it's all things sensitive strivers are are strong in emotional intelligence, empathy, complex thinking, problem solving. So I have really just been fascinated by where the future of work is going and how much those skills are in demand. Mm-hmm. And a favorite book? Thanks for the feedback by Sheila Heen and Douglas Stone fantastic book. If you have ever struggled with taking feedback or criticism personally, you need to read it. It it completely changed the way I see communication and conversations in general. Okay. And a favorite tool? With this, I'm going to go with the Aura ring. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like a Fitbit, except it's a ring. Yes. And I, I have mine on right now. Okay. It's looking good. And it's fantastic. It, it tracks your sleep. So it's been really helpful to help me spot patterns in my sleep. It tracks your heart rate. So it has really been helpful for helping me manage stress and build more healthier, productive habits. Now, if I could dork out here for a moment. Yeah. Does it do stuff above and beyond what a Fitbit does? Or is it more just about a form factor thing? I think the sleep might be superior and deeper Mm. to what you can get with a Fitbit. But I think for, I think beyond that, most of it is the same and it's, yeah, it's a fit and form thing. Well, it looks cool. Yeah. All right. And how about a favorite habit? Uh, For this, I'm going to go with every Saturday, I do a weekly reflection. I call it my CEO report. And it's a time for me to sit down, quiet, no other distractions and really log different metrics from my business, but also ask myself big questions about what is going well, what needs to be improved, what's on the horizon. 
So it, it just really helps me feel grounded. And is there a particular nugget you share with your clients, something that really connects and resonates they quote back to you frequently? Yes. Confidence isn't a prerequisite for success. It's a byproduct of success. And if folks want to learn more, or get in touch, where would you point them? You can head to melodywilding.com forward slash book. That's where you can find more information about me at my website, but also uh, get your copy of my new book, Trust Yourself. All right. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Start viewing your sensitivity as a strength and the world will change. All right, Melody, this has been a treat. I wish you lots of luck in your sensitive striving. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really love Melody's take about how you build credibility and confidence with yourself in proportion to the number of promises you keep to yourself. One, I think that's really true in terms of when I am breaking my promises to myself a lot, I feel pretty crummy and not as confident. And and just the opposite is true when I live up to those. But what I think is even more powerful about that is that when you're in the moment, the heat of battle, the, oh, I should probably do this and I said I was going to do this and it's on my schedule and I woke up for it, (laughs) but I don't want to, you can note, well, hey, it's not just about the results you're going to create in that moment by doing that thing you said you were going to do, but it also has deeper implications or ramifications in terms of your credibility with yourself and the confidence that you get. So not to guilt trip yourself, we all make mistakes. Hey, forgive yourself. Don't be too hard on yourself. Be gentle. But just maybe bring a little extra leverage to the moment. Like, "Mm, if I skip this workout, not only am I not going to be energized and I'm going to have an extra 0.1 pounds or whatever on my body, but I'm also going to have a little bit less credibility with myself. So I don't want that. Let's go for it. Booyah. So maybe that'll put you over the edge in some of those moments. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links as we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP663. If you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe. Our next guest is one that's been on the list for literally years. It is Bob Shaldini called the grandfather of influence. He's going to share seven universal principles that you can employ in your communications to be all the more persuasive and hear yes from people more often. Hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.